I have the honor this morning of uh, bringing to us a, a father in the faith, uh, certainly a father figure to me and, and one, that, uh, a man that I've known for a long time uh, because he was, a, he's not just a, of course, father uh, in this city, but really in many places and to many pastors. Uh, Don Finto was pastor at Belmont for 25 years, 25, 25, 26 years, 25 years, uh, and then uh, the founder of Caleb Company and, and, uh, and has been such an incredible encouragement. Of course, he's our, actually our connection to this church. We wouldn't even be here without if it weren't for Don Finto. So we're, we're very, very thankful for him. We love uh, who God is in him and what he wants to and has to impart to us. And so can you guys help me welcome Don Finto? Amen, amen. It's good to be with you. And uh, I bring you greetings from Israel and Germany. I just got back from Germany on Tuesday night. And, uh, and, and really just good, good. I, mean, I just want to share with you a couple of kinds of things because what I want to talk to you ultimately is just walking in the promises of God. I'm really, in the last uh, several months, really, I just keep hanging into how important it is that when we read the Word of God, and by the way, please keep reading it all the time, and when you read the Word of God, to pay attention to predictions that the Lord makes about times, because we're living in the fulfillment of those predictions. I mean, we are, remember that we are a generation, our generation of believers, there's never been a generation of believers in the history of mankind where there are so many kinds of things where prophecy is being fulfilled. For generations, people have seen, the believers that were reading the Word knew that Israel was going to turn back to the land, and they are, not all of them, but they are, that they were going to come to faith, that they were going to join the believers and the Gentile believers in faith, and that it, that this was going to bring about a world revival. I've got this, I've got this book with me because I want to read a couple of things out of the 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries where people saw what the Bible saw, what the Bible said, and began to believe it and pray it in. So our role is to see what God is saying in the book and pray it in. And let me just give you a couple of examples of what's been happening lately in some of the people that are around. Our, our Caleb team, uh, half of them went to northern Iraq, to Kurdistan, and then by way of Jordan back into Israel. And then some of them went to Israel first, and then from, from there down to Egypt, because they're on the two ends of the Isaiah 19 highway. In Isaiah 19, the prediction is that Assyria, which would be the capital of Assyria, would be in today's Iraq, and that's where Babylon is, and Mosul is, and Nineveh was, and all the way down to Egypt, that, that Assyria, Egypt, and Israel are going to be a blessing in the whole world. That's the prediction. Now, our role is to acknowledge that and pray it in. So that's what I'm talking about. Both personally, I want to tell you that my life has been totally transformed. I'm in shock almost all the time at how a country bumpkin West Texas pig-slopping, cow-milking, uh, cotton, weeds out of cotton form, chopping uh, kid from West <laughs> reared by my grandparents, junk in my childhood, could, could take me and put me where I am today. But you know why? Because I learned to 
read the book and believe it. I learned to read the promises and believe them. And I'm still doing it. And so let me just tell you a couple of things that have been happening to some of the people. So uh, I was in Israel with and, and met our teams. All of them were in Israel when I was there. And then I went from there to Germany. But just for example, our teams are believing more and more. And some of us, oh, by the way, my twins, David and Donna, are over here. And Nika Stevens, we were at her house last night with all the, with all the students. And they were giving their testimonies. But one of the things, they, they are believing more and more in the power of God. And I want you, I want to, I want us to believe in the power of God. We may not have seen it very much, but we are. And we're going to keep seeing it. And let me just tell you one example that happened to them. There was a Muslim man who lives in Nablus but works in Tel Aviv. And our teams were out on the beach in Tel Aviv just ministering to people and getting into conversations with people. And by the way, that's another thing. Get into conversations with people. Talk to people when you're standing in line. Just, how are you doing today? Give me, say hello to them. And who knows, you might start a conversation about Jesus and lead them to Jesus right there in the parking lot somewhere. So, so anyway, our teams were out on the beach and they were ministering to people and getting into conversations and some of them were, and they were in really the, the heart, a drug infested Tel Aviv. That's where they were, they were staying and they were out on the beaches. And one day, this guy found out that they were praying for people to be healed, and he needs to be healed. So he comes up and says, I don't want anything about this Jesus thing, but I need to be healed. And so they start praying for him, and when they start praying for him, he starts manifesting. And about 45 minutes later, he's stunned, and he's just almost catatonic, and he doesn't know what's been happening to him, but he said, I feel like a thousand pounds have been lifted off of my chest. I mean... Thank you. I, I, anyway, and well, he, go, he goes back, but he said, I don't want to know anything about Jesus. I mean, but thank you. And so he goes back. The next day, he comes back and says, there's another demon. Kept me awake all night. I need to be prayed for again. So anyway, they pray for him. He gets totally delivered. Then Sean Steckbeck shares the gospel with him, and he says, well, it will cost me everything. I, I don't know. I mean, makes sense to me, but it cost me everything. I don't know if I can do that or not. He came back the next day and said, I'm ready. I've got it. I've got it. Now he's being discipled. His name is Khalid. So that's one of the things that just happened a few days ago. And then an, an, another thing that's happening is there are thousands, yeah. There are thousands of people that are leaving ultra-Orthodoxy in Israel. This harsh, harsh ultra-orthodoxy. And, and, and the believers, some of our friends, are ministering to them. And now they have a house in Jerusalem to house some of these people. Because, for example, if there are young men who decide out of the ultra-orthodox community, I'm talking about the black hat, curls down the side. Uh, sometimes, I mean, some of them are really seeking God and some of them are really mean-spirited. And... And if, if a young and, and they don't have to serve in the army, and and yet the state pays for them to read the Torah all the day. And so they don't know any some of them don't know any language except Yiddish. Don't even know it, can't even speak Hebrew. So some of them decide that they'll join the army, and when they do, their families turn against them. So they're these people called lone soldiers. And anyway, they've opened up a house in Jerusalem to minister to some of these people. So that's just that's just a couple of things that are going on right now. And it's a fulfillment of promise because you know this is the day for Jewish people to come to faith. 
And this is the day for every nation in the world to come to faith. And so it's a fulfillment. Well, then I went on from there to Germany. And one of the things that was just really, I went to Hernhut, which if any of you know what that means, that's the Baravian place where Count Sinzendorf had a huge estate in the early 18th century. And he started bringing in refugees that were believers that had been run out of other places. And they started a prayer meeting that lasted over 100 years, 24-7. And in 1727, the Spirit of God fell on them, and they started sending missionaries all over the world. It was the birth of modern missions. So that I spent about three or four days there. There are three group, different groups of people there that, I, that, I, that we connect with. One, Youth with Mission has a base there. The old Jesus house, the Jesus house that is the descendants of the Sinzendorf people. And, and then gateways beyond. So anyway, spent time there. The other thing I want to tell you about is, before I get <laughs> any further, is when we were in Germany, we were, uh, Joseph Watson and I were traveling together, and we were walking down the streets of Freiburg, and all of a sudden we started, I mean, Joseph knew about it, I didn't. We started seeing in the middle of the, of the walkway the sidewalks that are made pebble stone sidewalks, we would see these little bronze plaques about this, about this big. And you start reading it, and it says in German, here lived Jacob Fleischer, for example, who was arrested, uh, who was born in like 1898, was arrested in such and such in 1940, and murdered in Auschwitz. These the little plaques to remember that they must never forget the horror of the Holocaust. And, they, and my, I'm told they're all over they're all over Germany. So anyway, now let me just let's just start talking about believing in promises. And I want to give you some examples of of, uh, of people both in the Bible and otherwise where this. We're believing in the promises God made all the difference. Let me just give you, let me give you a few examples biblically. Caleb, one of them. There's, no re- there's a good reason why I called Caleb Company Caleb Company when we started. But, but, I, I, it, but the thing that's, that was strong about Caleb is, the reason why Caleb and Joshua came back when they were sent out to spy out the land, and only Caleb and Joshua came back and said, we can do it. Well, there were giants in the land. I mean, they're... It, if they judged by what they saw, now hear me well, because this is you today, this is us. If they ju- judged by what they saw, there's no way they could be strong. You got it? You got it. If you judge by what you see instead of what God says, there's no way you're going to be strong. And by the way, if you judge, by what the news media during the time when they were supposed to conquer that land, the news media would have said, giants, giants, giants. And so you've got to be careful listening to too much news. Listening to the world media news is never going to strengthen you. You've got to listen to God news. And so Caleb comes back and says, but we can do it, Caleb and Joshua. Because they, didn't, they weren't judging by what they saw. They were judging by what God said. 
And then I've, I've <laughs> lately I've been feeling so sorry for Caleb and Joshua who had to live for 40 years in a wilderness that they knew they never were supposed to be in. And I, I hope they didn't live for 40 years and kept saying, I told you so. We wouldn't <laughs> even have to be here if you'd listen to me. I don't think they did, but they could have. But anyway, 40 years later, they're conquering the land. And Caleb comes, you remember this famous, famous quote. Caleb comes up to Joshua and says, give me that mountain. I'm just as strong as I was 40 years ago. I'm 85 years old, but I'm as strong as I was then. I, I think he was exaggerating, but nonetheless. But, but he said, and it's very, it's very important, he says, the Lord promised. I'm walking. I, that's a, the giant's there. But, and, and, and I'm an old man, but the Lord promised. You got it? I'm living in the promise of God more than what those giants are. And so he conquered the land. Well, uh, I mean, then, then think of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 11 says that by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Now, Abraham and Sarah, I mean, you know the story. They waffled a little bit, just like you and me. But nonetheless, there was this, this, there was this sturdy kind of reality that the promise of God had said it was going to happen. And so somehow, in all their waffling, they still believed it was going to happen. And you know what? And Sarah was way past age. I mean, even in that day, 90 years old to have a child. And Abraham was 100 and they, you know, they tried to help God out with a sort of a diversion that they, they took, but so that, wasn't, that wasn't believing the promise. But after 25 years, they, the, the promise was there. So another. Well, here, here's another one. Uh, example, Noah. Uh, by faith, Noah, Hebrews 11, 7. When warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family, and he became the heir of righteousness that comes by faith. I mean, can you, I mean, you've probably done this. You've probably done this with the kids in the kids' classes. Just imagine Noah getting a word from God that he's to build a boat right out in the middle. They've never even seen rain. They're never, rain never had even rain. He's supposed to build this boat, and there's supposed to be enough water someday to float it? And he and it. I, I tried to look it up. I think he was building it for a hundred years. I know. I know that the three boys were born in 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 his five hundredth year. So somewhere in there. But let's say fifty years, seventy-five years. He's building this thing. You know, everybody's laughing at him. He's come on, make the make the make the switch with you. I mean, unbelievers are going to think you're stupid. I mean, foolishness of God. And so, but Noah just kept believing and built the thing. And after he'd built the thing, then he knew that it was about time for everything to happen because the animals started coming to him. He didn't go out and pull them in. They started coming to him. So anyway, walking by faith. And then uh, the, other, the other biblical example that I thought of was Joseph. I mean, Joseph for 13 years, if he's 17 when he was sold into slavery, 30 when he became prime minister, and for those 13 years, he had nothing to, to put his weight down on except those dreams he had had. But he was so sure 
that God had said this dream, but you know, he's got to have waffled. But he believed the dream strong enough that he was able to stay strong even when Potiphar's wife accused him. He was able to stay strong even when he was over two years, probably three years in prison. Enough so that then he comes out, those dreams are fulfilled, and then he sees his brothers coming to him, and it all, and Genesis 42, I think it says, Joseph remembered his dreams. So he's all this time, he's standing on what, he's standing on the promises of God. So now, for us, where, where does this, there are two ways that I, want, that I want us to think about. One is, and I'll get to that in a minute, but one is how we stand in the promises of God in order for our own person to be transformed. We, look, your destiny is to be transformed. You, if you're a believer, you are not going to stay you are the way you are. If you're going to rest in Him and get the fullness of His Holy Spirit, He's going to change you. You better be willing to be changed. Because everybody in this room, including me, still needs to be changed. And the only way it's going to come is for us believing what God says about us. Rather, That's why I, the last time I was with you, I'm pretty sure I talked about an identity statement. I, I'm, I just... I urge you to get a, to write down an identity statement of who you are, who the Lord says you are. Because the only way you're ever going to get over your own negative self-talk and, uh, about yourself is to get some kind of an identity statement that God gives you about, you know, I, I told you what mine was. It starts off by saying, I believe the Word of God more than I believe my own emotions or feelings. And therefore, I boldly declare that I'm becoming more like Jesus every day. Well, how arrogant of you, Don, to say that. No, I'm not arrogant. I'm speaking the Word of God. I'm righteous in His sight. Oh, you are? Oh, well. I'm telling you what God says about me. You've got to do the same thing. But then, there's all these other things that are, that are happening in our day. And I've already mentioned Isaiah 19. And the, and, the, and, the, and the one, the, the, the passage of Scripture that I've been living in, and I, I'm, I'm almost certain that I didn't use this, but so if I did, I'll do it again. But the passage of Scripture that I've been living in for the last several months is Hosea 3, 4, and 5. That Israel will not have a king for many years, and they haven't had one since 586 B.C. when Zedekiah was taken to Babylon and his eyes were put out. They will not have a sacrifice for many years, haven't had one since 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. And afterward, they, not just a few hundred thousand, they, Israel, will return trembling to the Lord and His blessing in the last day. I put my weight down on that, and that's why I'm so, I'm, every single day of my life, I mean, I know I've got a call for that, but see, it's a part of what you pray in too. And so I coupled that recently Oh, a couple of months back, I coupled that with Ephesians 3.20 that talks about more than you can imagine. So I said to the Lord, Lord, help me imagine something. And I, when I was thinking about being with you last night, I, I thought, well, you know, give, Lord, give me some imagination on what it, how it could look. And, and one of the things, I mean, here's some of what I saw, not just last night, but I, the, the Jesus movement was a remarkable time. I mean, we had these dropout hippies that had thrown off all restraints sexually, 
everything. They didn't want anything their parents had. They didn't want, they didn't want to have, just have careers. They wanted to just, well, my friends, Aton and Connie, went back to the land in New Mexico mountains where there was no running water, no electricity, and they were making a living out there because they didn't want to. And, and, and he, was a, he was one of those uh, draft card burning hippies. <laughs> and, and until, but then God starts arresting them. But the, but the thing is, they, there was a revelation of these people when they got to the end of themselves, then they had no place to go. So they started investigating something about God and finally came to Jesus. Well, so one of the things I wonder is, uh, there, there's, a, there's some horror places in Tel Aviv and in Israel as a whole. I mean, one of the biggest pri- gay pride parades is in Israel. And, and, and the women have to serve in the, in the Israel Defense Force too, and they are allowed so many abortions while they're in working the service. Israel is not a godly place yet, but they will be. You can say amen to that because I've read the book. So I'm thinking, I'm wondering if maybe, just maybe, God might start in Tel Aviv and do another Jesus movement because these, these I mean, there are people on, openly on the streets shooting drugs. And there's all this kind of stuff. So, so the, I, I can imagine, maybe that's happened. And then I'm, I'll stand at the wall when I'm in Jerusalem looking down at all these ultra-Orthodox and uh, the whole people filling the wall. And I'm thinking, now that would be a good place to start, Lord. And so anyway, I don't know where he's going to start, but I know he's going to start. But I, so I started having, so I said, Lord, give me, a, give me an, an imagination. So here's what I saw. I saw a 16-year-old Jewish kid young man sitting with his parents for breakfast and he says mom dad I had a really strange dream last night and uh, Jesus was in it and he said he was the Messiah and his mom puts her hand over in his arm and says son I had the same dream and then the dad says, well, I, maybe I, I didn't know whether I could even tell you this or not, but at 2 o'clock this morning, my room was filled with light. I mean, we're talking sunlight. And I guess you can believe this now, but there was an angel there. And he said, you've been wrong. He is the Messiah. He didn't even tell me who he was talking about, but I knew. We've got to go to the rabbi. So they go to the rabbi and they sit down and, and they don't even start a conversation until the rabbi says, you don't have to tell me why you've come. We've been wrong. He is the Messiah. And so all of a sudden this whole thing starts reaching all of them. This is my imagination. But come on, you, do, you, you imagine. Send me your imaginations. I want to know. I mean, because God can do all this kind of stuff. So first thing you know, it spread all over, and the news media start saying, there are reports, I said, world media. <laughs> Once in a while, they'll say something that's right. And, <laughs> and it starts to report, well, it looks like the Jews finally decided that Jesus is the Messiah. And so fast forward, and I'm in this, I'm in this 
it's not a stadium, it's an open field, but there's some kind of place where you can communicate here. But over on this side, there are hundreds of people, Jews and Gentiles, dancing the hora together, rejoicing in the Lord because they're all believers in Jesus. And over on this side, there are people just flat on their faces before the Lord repenting because they didn't see this coming and pray it in. And then Zechariah 8.23 becomes a reality that 10 people from the nations grabbed hold of a Jew and say, we heard God's with you, tell us about him. And then the, the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 2 and 3 becomes a reality that we have Jews and Gentiles together. Now I think I told you when I was talking about this, when all that happens then I'm going to be a Simeon. Then I'm going to say, now you can take me Lord, I've seen it. Because I believe, I believe it can happen in my lifetime and I'm not 35 anymore. But anyway, so now, so we're to, we're to pay attention. Now, let me just read you some of, these, some of these verses. We sang one of them. No matter how many processes there are, they are yes in Christ. And we speak the amen to the glory of God. That passage is for everybody in this room. You look at the promises and you speak amen. And there are some things that are not going to happen in your life until you say amen to God's promise. And when you say amen to God's promise, they will happen in your life. I know that because that's biblical. I also know that because I've experienced it. Then in Hebrews, the sixth chapter, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is in promise. Faith and patience. You see it, you believe it, you keep unbelieving it. Remember, well, Abraham, for example, was told by God that he couldn't, that this land where he was living at the moment was going to belong to his descendants, but I can't give it to you yet because the sin of the Amorites is not full. And it was 400 years before the promise will fulfill. So some promises that I'm dreaming about may not happen until after I'm gone. But yeah, I, I'm an, I'll be an intercessor up there. You know how I know? Because Jesus intercedes for us. And we're part of Jesus. So when we get up there, I believe we'll be intercessors. Better than we are intercessors down here. And so let's just keep on acknowledging. And then, I love this one. This one, listen to Leo Kevin. This is 2 Peter 1.4. Listen to this. God has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, through the promises, we may escape the corruption that's in the world through lust and become partakers of the divine nature. Through the promises, we escape the, the lust and we become partakers of the divine nature. Through the promises. We start believing what he says, and he works in our lives as a result. Now, and, and then I, 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 just as an addition, I love Psalm 119, 148. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. In other words, you don't just read one of these promises and sort of say, oh, yeah, okay, amen. No, you chew on it. You keep putting it in your head. You keep salivating over it. You keep believing it. You keep rejoicing in it. And, and, and so, anyway, but, but the key now is that through the promises, we get rid of our lust and we become like Jesus. 
And so you, you understand now why Romans 8, 29 is so important to me? I mean, I told you who I was, who I was. And, and then one day I discovered Romans 8, 29 that says that I'm predestined to be looked like Jesus. I did that. My God, I'm supposed to, if I will believe your promise, you'll make me look like you. I will love like you, forgive like you, help like you, believe like you. And, and I'm, have I arrived? Absolutely not. I'm still here. But I guarantee you I'm a whole lot more like Jesus today than I was 40 years ago. And you better be more like Jesus than you were five or ten years ago. Or otherwise, you're not putting your weight down on the promise. And then, I mean, the, the one right before that is, is a very, very familiar passage. We all know it. But, you know, do you believe it when the stuff gets, to, when the stuff gets hard? That he works everything for our good? Because we love him? He works everything. I, I, when I was thinking about this, I thought of David, son David has a... a Wedding dress, <laughs> does wedding dresses, cleaning establishment, all that kind of thing in Nashville. I mean, in, in Dallas, and and they had a tornado that leveled much of the of the area around him. Leveled it, blew. I mean, what? Blew the windows off, all kinds of things like that. Had to replace the roof, everything like that. Tough, horror. I mean, really bad. Really expensive houses, just schools totally leveled, churches, church buildings leveled in, in the area. But his shop had all these wedding dresses that were ready for the brides. All that. They weren't touched. And now they're redoing the whole area, upgrading this old area where he's had his shop that have all these expensive homes around it. So God's using, God's working good out of it. I mean, he's going to work good out of tornadoes. Yeah. I mean, he'll work good out of whatever comes to our life. How do I know that? Because the book says so. He works good. I don't care what kind of horrible thing has happened to you. I never will forget. I'm, and, and, I, mean, I was out at Grace Chapel when Steve Berger's, soon after Steve Berger's 18-year-old son was killed in a one-car accident. And he said, I'm, he was preaching on he said, I'm, pre I'm going to preach on the hardest verse in the Bible to believe. And it was Romans 8, 28. And he goes through a really good message. And then he stops at the end of it. And he says, an 18-year-old son killed the week he was supposed to go to university? Yes. All things. Whew. How's God going to work that good? I don't know. But Steve believes it. He works, we got to, I mean, you see what I'm saying? we got to put weight down on the Word. And so there are all kinds of ways li like that. That's, that's how our answers will come. And so, and then I, I, I thought, not only do we put our weight down on the promises, but we put our weight down on commands. And I think I said last time with you, because I, I've been, I mean, for example, I, I, it didn't occur to me till within the last year that when Paul says in uh, in Ephesians, let me see, yeah, well, Philippians, yeah, he says, "Don't be anxious about anything." It didn't occur to me till within the last year 
that that's not a suggestion. It's a command. How in the world can I keep from being anxious? Well, you can, because God gave a command. Why didn't... You know how you do it? You rely on the Holy Spirit within you. And you can get rid of anxiety. I mean, so the commands of God are the, are the things... I mean, I was thinking about uh, the passage in, in Luke 6 that talks about give and it'll be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. The measure you give will be the measure you get. And I connect this over to Malachi, you know, bring the full tithe. I mean, I have, I've had people say to me, well, the tithe is not New Testament. That was the Old Testament. Well, read Matthew 23, verse 23, where Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, you tithe mint, cumin, and anise, and neglect the weightier matters of law, justice, and mercy, and all of that. You should have done the first without neglecting, you should have done this without neglecting the other. In other words, don't neglect the tithe. Jesus said that. So if, if, you've, if, you, if, if you're not tithing, your money's not under blessing. Sorry. Read the book. We've got to abide by what the book says, not by how we feel. Or, I mean, I, you know, I, I remember a testimony from a lady at Belmont years ago, and she, just, she didn't think there was any way that she could tithe. But she was challenged, and she started doing it, and you know, it was one of those stories she gave her to where she got a raise. All kinds of stuff happened to her. Now, you can't make a deal with the Lord. But I'm telling you, the blessing of God is there. Or I thought of, a, the, <laughs> I thought of this one. I, I won't dig too much. I'm, I'm just, but, but I, I thought of this passage which says, when you fast, da 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 God will reward you. Have you done any of that lately? You want a reward? Why don't you miss a meal? And spend the time in prayer. Just one a week. You know, just... But anyway, you hear what I'm saying? Let's do the stuff. Let just, let's just don't read about it or talk about it. Let's do the stuff. And so, there's all these promises of God then that are there. So let me just... Let me, let me finish up by just telling you some remarkable things that I've, I've learned about. Um, there is... You know... I'll go back to the salvation of Israel ultimately. And I have met and spent some time with a man in D.C. named John Desser. And he, he has dual citizenship, and he, but he works in D.C. with a lot of you know, with governmental figures. And he thought that Christians just hadn't done their homework or they couldn't believe all those fables. But he went to a presidential prayer breakfast when two of the people that he most admired in the entire world were giving their testimony, he was so shocked. He thought they were smart and they were Christians. So he decided, he, I'm, I'm going to read that book, see why they would believe that. And he starts in Genesis, one chapter, a chapter at a time. And by the time he got to the Sermon on the Mount, he was a believer. So he, so he, so he says to his, to his friends, hey, find me a wife. You know, and they said... John, you're in the U.S. We don't do that. And so there was a girl that moved in with one of his friends, and he was interested in her, but she wasn't. She didn't date. And so she gave him a book about it, and he said, "Well, what would I do if I were interested in you?" And she said, "Well, talk to my dad." And so he did, and ultimately they were going to. They, his, her dad, 
acknowledge, but he wanted his dad to give a blessing. And his dad is a Hasidic Jew in Israel. So they went to Israel and started talking to him. And after a few days, they, they said, we, 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 yeah, she's a Ruth. Okay, she's a Ruth. And so he gives her an engagement ring in Israel. But fast forward about eight years, and they went back, and, he, and his relative said, but John, you've been married eight years. Why hasn't she converted to Judaism? So he thought, oh, dear. So he says, uh, well, uh, well, we believe the Messiah is coming. Oh, yes, of course. And, well, she and I, um, we believe that, uh, that he already came. And so his uncle is who's this starts davening back and forth, and he said he felt like it was a, an hour. And finally he looked at him and said, maybe so. So this, this guy is now introducing to, I didn't do it when I was in Israel last time because I, I wanted Todd or, or John Dester to be with me when I do it. But he's introduced me to a fellow in Israel named Ariel Cohen Aloro. And he is a Hasidic, let me just read you what his website says, that he is a Hasidic Orthodox from Jerusalem, and he recently undertook the crucial prophetic task to unveil Jesus, Yeshua, as the Jewish Messiah. He's a long bearded, white bearded guy that's a lawyer. And to explain the main concepts of Christianity from a genuine 100% Jewish Orthodox perspective as a natural way to return him in kosher garments back to the Jewish establishment. And this fellow, the rabbi, believes, I mean, I'm just telling you this to say, I don't know how God's going to do this, but it's, but anyway, his rabbi is a rabbi of rabbis who believed that Jesus' trial was illegal. It was done part of time at night. It was done on the eve of a holiday, and that he needs to be retried. And, my, and this, friend, this guy that I'm being introduced to wants to be his defense attorney. And, and he asked his rabbi, because he obviously believes it, he asked his rabbi, do you believe that Jesus is Messiah? And he said, I can't answer that until after the trial. But there actually are Jewish people. And by the way, and I met a man named Shimon, who is an orthodox black, black hat guy who, who's a believer who hadn't even told his wife yet. So all, I, all I'm saying is there's, an, un, there's, there's stuff going on that we don't know about internationally that, that are pulling together the things of God. Now, now, you know that the time, I mean, we're also living in the generation when every nation, tongue, and tribe, and people are going to hear about God. And you may have heard, well, by the way, one of those things is that there is a huge revival in Iran that not everybody will have heard about. And some of my friends went there, they've talked to the people there, and they say that these death to Israel and death to the U.S., the news media stuff, that the high school students tell them, we won't get our grades if we don't go protest. We have to go do that. So it's, it's all contrived, and that the mosques are empty, and people are fed up with the administration. And my friend uh, that I've met that's been up there says he believes that it's, it's going to be the, the fastest growing church in this century in Iran. Now, why am I telling that? Because I want you to dig even under the stuff, the hard stuff that's coming, and look and do like this and find out what God's doing. 
Now, okay, I'll give you one more, one more example of stuff like that. There's a, there's a book by Tom Doyle called Dreams and Visions. And his entire book is talking about Muslims that have had dreams about Jesus. And there's one fellow that he calls Hassan, that's not his real name, that was that woke up one morning. I mean, he was a strong believer and had studied Islam up one side and down the other in order to bring people to Jesus. And by the way, some of the people that have become believers still have Muslims stamped in their passport because it's against the law to change religions. And they're going to Mecca when people make their trips to Mecca to walk around and pray for people and get in conversations about Jesus. But this guy has, I mean, he's He's wondering what's going to happen there. And so he starts, but, so he's trying everything he can to bring people to the Lord. But one morning, long before sunup, two or three hours before sunup, he wakes up with a gun at his head, and the man says, come with me. So he comes across the streets of Cairo, Cairo, Egypt, and on the way, he says, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. I mean, he's assuming he's going to be executed. And he takes him over, this guy takes him over to an abandoned warehouse. And then they finally find a room in that abandoned warehouse. And he walks into this room and there are 10 men sitting around. And when they see him, they start smiling. And the man who had kidnapped him says, please forgive me. We knew this was the only way to get you here without endangering your life. We are all imams and we've been having dreams about Jesus and we want you to teach us the Bible. That's going on in our day. So, I told you I, I was, I was going to read you a couple, something out of, the, out of these centuries. In the 16th century in the Geneva Bible, see, they saw something and prayed it in. And comment to Romans eleven fifteen: The Jews now remain, as it were, in death for lack of the gospel, but when both they and the Gentiles shall embrace Christ, the world shall be renewed, shall be restored to a new life. They saw that in 1560. In the 17th century, Robert Layton, 1642, undoubtedly the people of the Jews shall once more be commanded to arise and shine, and their return shall be the riches of the Gentiles. And that shall be a more glorious time than ever the church of God did yet behold. That's the 17th century. They read the book hundreds of years before it began to happen. It's happening in our day. This from the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards, someone you would know of. Though we do not know the time in which the turning of Israel will come to pass, yet this much we know, determined by scriptures, that it will be before the glory of the Gentile part of the church shall be fully accomplished because it is said that their coming in shall be life from the dead for the Gentiles. That's the 18th century. This from the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon in 1855. I do not think we attach sufficient importance to the restoration of the Jews. We do not think enough of it. But certainly if there's anything that is promised in the promised in the Bible, it's this. The day shall yet come when the Jews, who were the first apostles to the Gentiles, the first missionaries to us who were far off, shall be gathered in again. That was 100 years. That was what? That was 1855. That was, no, that was 40 or 50 years before Jewish people started returning to the land that Charles Spurgeon saw this. 
Until that time shall be, the fullness of the church's glory can never come. Matchless benefits to the world are bound up with the restoration of Israel. Their gathering in shall be life from the dead. So, standing on the promises for your personal sanctification and transformation, and standing on the promises as it relates to the salvation of the Jewish people and the gospel spreading all over the world. I pray in Jesus' name that the Lord will open up our hearts like mine too, like never before. I was reading in Isaiah yesterday, and I found promises in the latter part of Isaiah that I had never really seen before about, the, about this kind of thing. Read the book and believe the promises and be transformed and, and, and pray, believe what God says about your family. I stand on Psalm 112 that blessed is the man who fears the Lord and finds great delight in his command. His children will be mighty in the land. And on Acts 16, blessed, you know, believe on the Lord and you'll be saved and your house. If you have people that are not saved in your house, don't you dare give up. And, and don't, don't, don't try to be the Holy Spirit. You speak when God tells you to speak and you be quiet when he tells you to be quiet. But let's rest in the, the people coming to the Lord, our own transformation and the transformation the Lord is doing. So Lord, again I pray, open up every one of our hearts. Let it do a transformation inside of us. Keep on giving transformation to us. And all help us to usher in, in our day, in this prophecy-fulfilling day, to usher in the salvation of all of Israel and the salvation of the nations. Thank you that we live in a day when... when uh, the nations, every nation, every nation, every ethnic group is targeted to awaken people so that your promise will be fulfilled that in every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, there will be people, strong people around the throne of God. We thank you for the generation we live in and we rest in your promises in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, would you guys stand with me? We're going to close out and, and pop down and keep you up here and I'd like for you to just... Uh, Pray the ironic benediction over us as we go. And uh, <clears throat> the point of, of uh, standing to receive is to say, we're going to believe uh, on the blessing and the promises. And so if you feel comfortable, you might just put your hands out in an attitude of just receiving. You know, there's obviously nothing magical about that. But we want to get before the Lord and to receive his word. Even as just uh, Don was declaring that we're in his word and believing the word more than we believe what we see. So as uh, Don declares this blessing over us, here's what I'm going to ask. Would you just begin to stand on the promises of God? Just maybe even for you or your home or your family, those that Don was just declaring. Would you just, uh, even as he was declaring, even from Ephesians, imagine the promise coming to pass and just believing it. And that we're going to receive the promises of God more than what we can see with our eyes and walk in his mighty power. And so let's receive as Don prays this blessing over us as we go. Yeah, let me, let me start with, a, with an apostolic prayer out of Thessalonians that may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. 
May he encourage your hearts, our hearts, and equip us with every good deed and word in Jesus' name. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So yes, so the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom. Yeshua, Hamashiach, Sar Shalom. In the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen.